Old Man Winter has made himself at home here in the Midwest, and it's never too late to purchase some things that'll make your life easier during the cold winter months. If you are a chicken keeper and don't really know where to start, check out the cold weather supplies section of the Meyer Hatchery website. This section of the website includes things like wood shavings, board and busting toys, options to keep your water from freezing, and more. It's so easy to add all the things you need to be a successful winter-ready chicken keeper to your cart. Go to MeyerHatchery.com, click Supplies, and navigate to the Cold Weather Supplies section. And don't forget, you can get $5 off your online order when you use code DRINKINFARM at checkout. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. (laughs) What are you sipping on over there? It looks fun. It is fun. So this is another mocktail from the Simple Goodness Sisters. It is a version of a fig highball. And it's actually really easy to make. All that it is is fig cardamom shrub, which is the simple syrup that they sent in that month's box. And club soda. <laughs> oh, that is easy. Yeah, that's it. And I stuck a little cinnamon stick in it to make it pretty. And a straw, because it's kind of a soda. So I thought a straw was appropriate. There you go. But yeah, it's really good. The fig cardamom syrup is delicious. It was about an ounce and a half of the syrup. And I just topped the glass with ice and then poured the, like, topped it off with club soda. So yeah, easy way to make fancy soda. Yeah, I like it. So what are you drinking over there? So I am drinking a white hot chocolate because Mm. I was like, oh, crap, we're recording. Oh, crap. It's the morning. (laughs) Technically, we're in February, but we're recording this in January. So we're still following dry January. But so I did white hot chocolate. And then my husband got these marshmallows a while ago. That are like birthday cake flavored and have sprinkles on them. So I threw one of those in there too. So it looks like a clown threw up in my white hot chocolate. Not very visually appealing, but I am drinking it out of the mug that we give our listeners when they win one for leaving us a review. So if you're on the YouTube, you got a quick peek at that. That'll be in the picture too for when the episode goes out. And at the end of today's episode, we will pick the January winner. Yay. So it felt very appropriate to drink out of this today. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that is very appropriate. I still haven't gotten myself one of those. I should get on that. Yes. (laughs) Our drink peep this episode is our friend Kayla Wood, and she is at Honey Creek Homestead over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right, so before we get started into this week's episode, I have a corrections corner. Ooh, what are we correcting? So Elise Ferguson brought this to our attention, and thank you so much, Elise, because I didn't even notice it, but in the episode where we talked about our lessons learned from the garden, we talked a lot about pest control and using BT on pumpkins in your squash plants. And I mentioned how I was using it to try to control the squash bugs. And that is not a 
good use of BT because BT will not take care of squash bugs. It only takes care of bugs that have a larval stage. So anything that becomes a caterpillar at some point. Um, So that's what BT is useful for. And also that would totally explain why I had so much trouble with the squash bugs. You know how when you're trying to like learn something or like solve a problem, you can end up like reading too many things. Yeah. And then you might end up with the wrong information. Yeah. I think that was what happened to me there because I felt fairly confident that I had gotten the right thing to take care of those. And I was very confused on why it was not working whatsoever. But I do have neem oil and I have some horticultural oil and both of those are better candidates for taking care of squash bugs than BT is because BT is not going to do anything to them. (laughs) Yeah. Aside from maybe just make them laugh at you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's true. It's true. So with a, a combination of BT and horticultural oil and neem oil, you will see if I can get the squash bugs under control. In fact, um, one of my plans this year before I even get out there and start gardening is I'm going to weed all the paths and get everything all set up. And I'm actually going to spray horticultural oil on all of the wood chips and in everything that's empty oh. and doesn't have plants in it to see if that kind of takes care of any emerging pest issues, you know, before they begin. <laughs> before it gets crazy. Yeah. Do you know, like, how long that oil lasts? Like, do you have to reapply every so often? Yeah, you do have to reapply every so often. I think it depends on what you're applying it on and the weather. Okay. Because I think it needs to be reapplied after a heavy rain. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's it for Corrections Corner. Yay! All done. Thank you, Elise, <laughs> for pointing that out to us. We always like to correct ourselves when we have said something wrong. So mm-hmm. if you are listening to an episode and you think that we have totally misrepresented something, don't hesitate to send us a note and let us know because we're always learning. Also, we definitely don't know all of the things. Um, <laughs> and so we will absolutely look into it and then do a corrections corner. Indeed. All right. So for today's episode, we're going to do bees part two. Yay. I love it. Today, we're going to talk about what bees need to make honey And then get into some of the nitty gritty, but not like too deep because we could probably be here like all day if we talked exactly about how honey is made. But we're going to go over some of the highlights of that, which is really interesting. So that's what we'll cover today. So be basics for what is needed to make honey. Nectar and water equals honey. Seems pretty easy, right? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought they used pollen <laughs> to make honey. Well, they do. So <laughs> so adult bees actually don't need much pollen. However, bee larvae needs lots of pollen because of the high protein content. So they do need it. Uh, okay. But it seems like maybe nectar and water are a little higher on the list. And then obviously okay. they need a place to live, like a hive, so they can do their thing. So those are like the top things mm. they really need right out of the gate. All makes sense. They also find vitamins, carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and minerals extremely necessary. They require each of those things to raise healthy new bees. So this in turn means that raising healthy young workers and eventually foragers 
That just happens if you have all those basic requirements for what they need. And that in turn creates a thriving colony. So it's not just all about the honey. There's some other things that need to happen to make the workers healthy enough to make said honey. That makes sense. So while nectar is a key building block for honey pollen, like we mentioned, is also very important to a bee's health in general. So when bees arrive back at the hive, when pollen is caught on their little hairs, it's got to be processed. Their little pollen pants? Yeah, their pollen pants. Have you seen the bees with pollen pants? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pollen is for the larvae instead of the adult bees. So adult bees might, you know, have a little snack of some of it for the protein, but the larvae need it for their formation as they transform into adult bees. When a bee arrives with pollen, it will be stored within the hive for later use as a protein source. And then the bees will also collect juice from plant sources and dust from animal feed if necessary to store as a future protein source if sufficient pollen is not available. So they're very resourceful little guys and gals. They are. Gosh. Also, it's quite interesting that bees actually eat differently depending on their type and age, but they all receive vitamin B complex and vitamin C nutrients from honey and pollen, but they get their protein differently. So the queens and the males, which are also known as drones, and the larvae get their protein through a substance called Royal jelly. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. (laughs) Fancy. And you might be asking yourself, well, what the heck is royal jelly? And it's just a secretion from the worker bees that they give off. So I shouldn't say just. Not as not as fancy. (laughs) It does no, that kind of takes the sexy right out of it, doesn't it? Uh, Saying it's a secretion. (laughs) From the worker Secretion bees. is right up there with moist. Moist, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so worker bees usually get their protein from what they are collecting and storing for the later date. So there's your bee basics on what they need for their little circle of life to work out. <laughs> now I can't stop thinking about secretion. that word just makes me go (laughs) yeah almost more than moist i think because i've always been like desensitized to the word moist but secretion feels new it does and violating (laughs) it does it's very violating to the ears (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right so let's get into the really fun part which is how honey is made so the first thing foraging for nectar. Bees will actually stick to a five mile radius of their hive when they're foraging, though they generally try to stay as close as possible, which is interesting because I I didn't know that before researching the episode. I just kind of assumed that they didn't really have a plan and they just kind of like Dory from Finding Nemo, like, just keeps swimming and, like, <laughs> like aimlessly <laughs> around. But it is interesting that they try to stick within that radius. And that does make a lot of sense. It does. And also, it's a reinforcement for why, if you're going to keep bees, putting in, like, bee gardens, you know, areas around 
your farm or your property or wherever your bees are is a good idea because that'll encourage them to stay closer to home. Because like most of us don't have a farm that is five mile radius wide all the way around us. And so we can't control the things that are happening off of our property. And so we want to try to encourage the bees to stay as close to home as possible just to prevent, you know, loss from the other things that get sprayed in other places. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. When you first bring your bees home, some beekeepers actually, but not everyone, tends to keep their bees in their hives for a few days. When let out, the worker bees will make circles over the hives and that is actually their way of obtaining coordinates so they know the location of their hive. And that's how they know, you know kind of calculate that five mile radius. That's really interesting. So don't move your hive <laughs> while your bees are out. <laughs> At least not very far without letting them know. <laughs> There are actually many flowers that attract bees out foraging. So like Bev was saying, if you want to plant things that'll make your bees happy and help them stick around, there are some sugary nectine and high protein pollen options that you can try to incorporate on your property. Bees really like apple, blackberry, dandelion, clover, goldenrod, which in the fall we get a lot of goldenrod naturally. We do. Yeah. They also really like lavender, lime trees, ivory, rosemary, and more. Yeah. So jot those down and maybe try to incorporate some. The sugar and protein components give the bees young larvae a good start to life. When they are full-fledged bees, they also need the energy to flap their little wings so quickly. So plant those high-value items. Busy little bees. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So when bees collect nectar, they use a long tongue called a proboscis. Proboscis? Oh, I should have Googled that one before we started. Proboscis. Somebody can correct me and I won't be mad. Yeah. And that their little tongue can slide down into the flower and suck nectar out of like a out like a straw, which is really cool to watch. We had a lot of bees that hung out around our squash plants last year. It was actually really hard for me to water in the morning because they would all be hanging out in the flowers and it made me feel really bad. So I'd really try to avoid <laughs> spraying them because they were in there doing a great job. And sometimes there was even like two or three per flower. So they suck the nectar out like a straw, and then they store the nectar in a second stomach, sometimes called a honey stomach. And this doesn't digest nectar in that stomach. It serves as like a carrying purse and is in front of the digestive tract of the bee. And the honey stomach can hold up to 70 milligrams of nectar and weigh almost as much as the bee itself. Oh my gosh. Strong. They're strong little buggers. Yeah, they are. So honeybees have tiny hairs on their bodies that allow pollen to stick to them, like those pollen pants we were talking about. So they can both carry nectar and pollen while flying. So that's like, you know, how you take groceries out of your car and you carry a lot of them at once, maybe a little too much. Bees kind of do the same thing. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) They like to be efficient just like we are. So while the worker bees are flying and storing nectar, the honey stomach begins mixing the nectar with enzymes that start pulling some of the water out of the nectar. And it's also important to note that bees do not 
turn their vomit into honey. That is a myth. And it's an easy place for your brain to go because they're holding it in a stomach. So honey is not bee vomit, even though it's really easy to take that leap while you're listening to us talk about how it's made. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll admit, I always thought that honey was bee vomit. Yeah. I just like I heard that somewhere and I just accepted it as fact and never questioned it again. Well, we're here to be your farm fact checkers for today. (laughs) Make sure you read our resources that we link in the show notes too. That's really important. We don't just automatically know all this stuff. We do a lot of our own research on top of piling on our personal experiences. So that is how we now know that honey is not bee vomit. And you're welcome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the reason it's not considered bee vomit is because when the bee intakes the nectar, they use one of two valves, sending the nectar into the bee's digestion. And this is a good thing because if the worker bees need energy while in flight, she can use this option while foraging. So they do, it's kind of (laughs) like, my brain's going to like, you know, female ducks have like the different chambers in their vagina and they can choose whether they let a male mate with them for procreation or not. It's kind of like that for bees. Mm -hmm. They get to choose if they're going to eat it or if they're just going to carry it for whatever purpose. That's really, that's actually really cool. Like what a neat design (laughs) for a creature. So if the bee doesn't need the energy, then the nectar takes a second pathway into that honey stomach where it won't be digested. So they're smart enough to know what they need when they need it and what's going to go back to the hive. So bees get to make that choice to begin digesting the nectar, and then the nectar cannot be used to create honey if they eat it for energy purposes. Okay, so like they're not capable of making it switch chambers. Right. They know, I'm, I need energy, so I'm going to digest this, or I don't need this, I'm going to carry it back to the hive. Very cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and it makes me wonder how we even figured that out. <laughs> The wild. Bee scientists. Bee scientists. (laughs) So do bees prepare for summer? And the answer is yes. Bees will actually forage heavily in the spring to get ready for summer. Because in summer, there can be a lack of or scarcity of certain things like water. So they're really preparing for a summer drought when there is little growth or pollination to take place. So bees are preppers. They totally are. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and some of it depends on your, like, region also. Like, we practically live in a rainforest where I'm at, so the bees don't necessarily have to do that because there's always, you know, flowers and water and stuff around. But in a drier area, which is not, you know, that far from me, like, you don't get as much rain as I do. Mm -mm. You probably need to prep. Yeah. Selective prepping. (laughs) Regional bee preppers. All right. So the next thing is what happens when the worker returns to the hive. So what that worker does is they take the nectar that they foraged and there will be a younger worker bee waiting. So like a little bee apprentice, just chilling and waiting. These are uh, actually referred to as house bees. Cute. And the house bees job. Yeah, so cute. The house bees job is to suck the nectar out of the honey stomach of a forager. And to me, I know it's not vomit now, but that sounds like some kind of hazing ritual. (laughs) (laughs) You are the younger worker bee. You are stuck in the house and you will suck the nectar out of my stomach. 
Ha ha ha. So once that nectar is transferred, the house bee will then chew it for about 30 minutes, which is a long time, I feel. Yeah. So while chewing, what the bee is doing is adding enzymes to the nectar to break it down, and it actually forms a simple syrup. The enzymes also reduce the water content in the nectar, and this makes it easier to digest and less likely to be plagued by bacteria while stored in, stored inside the hive. So that's a really important job. Yeah. Moisture equals bacteria in most circumstances. Yes. <laughs> Moist. All right. <laughs> the next step is spreading the syrup. So once this process is complete, the worker distributes the resultant syrup over the comb of the hive. And this is accomplished by spitting up the nectar that that bee has chewed for the past half hour. And she's going to deposit this into a cell of in the honeycomb. So this is probably where you recognize the product that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. So then that bee spreads the tops out to maximize the surface area so that water can continue to evaporate from the honey syrup and it'll get thicker over time. Additionally, bees help reduce the water content by fanning the honey with their wings. Mm. Very cute. Just, there's, they're so cool. They are pretty cool. Like, I knew bees were cool, but now I, like, have a new appreciation for them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So, finally, the last step is capping the honey. So, once the honey is to the right consistency and the water content at the right level, a bee will cap it with beeswax ready for later consumption. So the capping process is rather intense, too, because what happens is the bees will excrete. So we have secrete and er, secretion and excretion. (laughs) So this time the bees are excreting a substance from their abdomen to cap the honey. And this comes from wax glands on their abdomen. The glands push out sheets of this substance made up of scales, which dry to form beeswax. Ta-da! They're like adorable little factories. Yeah, they really are. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can do a lot with their little tiny bee bodies. Yes. Yeah, it kind of makes me feel lazy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I like my body, but gosh, I feel like you could produce something. <laughs> something other than a human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... You know, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I guess our 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 purposes are obviously different for different reasons, and I just admire that bees have such a unique function and deliver us something so delicious. For sure, for sure. <laughs> yes. So that's it for our two part series. But I'm sure bees will come back up because it is something you know we're both interested in. It's just an interesting topic, and as we go along in our farm journeys, you know, we're going to bring this up again and again, I'm sure. So, yeah. over in our Facebook group, after the last episode, we did solicit feedback from our current listeners that are beekeepers, and we've gotten some really good feedback. So, if you have any advice or holy crap, don't do this certain thing when you get started, definitely go put that over in our Facebook group because it's been really interesting to see that feedback and and gain wisdom from the people that like to listen to us. Yes, for sure. (laughs) All right. It's review time. Hooray. Hooray. 
And in case you're new here, what we do is we read one Apple podcast review a week and we take those four or five reviews that we read throughout the week and we draw a name out of a hat and that person will win an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. It is the one I am drinking out of today. And Woo-hoo. we do have a January winner. Yes. So Lindsay Carter, make sure you message us because you're the January winner. So you can mm-hmm. email at us at drinkinformatgmail.com or what might be even faster is if you do have Instagram, message us on Instagram that you're the lucky winner with your address and we will send you your mug. We sure will. How exciting. Yes. And we do have a review to read this week. Bev, do you want to read it? Sure. Ready. So this is a five-star review from The Farmer and Her Dog. And the title is Fabulous. Mm. And she says, thank you, ladies, for this podcast. You keep me inspired and motivated to try new things on the farm. I dairy farm with my husband, and while this takes up most of my time, I do have a few things of my own to add some variety. So far, I have laying hens and a vegetable garden. You both are entertaining. Keep up the good work, Liz. Oh, thank you, Liz. Thank you. So nice. Such a nice review. Oh, and before we move on, not only can you leave us an Apple podcast review, but you can also call and leave us a voicemail, and we'll make sure the phone number is in the show notes. So if you mm-hmm. prefer to call and leave us a voicemail, you can absolutely do that. Sure can. All right. Just really quick housekeeping. Be sure to send us your can't evens. You can post those in our Facebook group, or you can email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com. We use those can't evens in our mini-sode, and those are the two places that we can gather them easily and get them put into the format for a podcast. So if you've come across anything that you just can't even and you want to share it with us, be sure and do it one of those two ways. And make sure you take a look at today's show notes to find links to the articles we've discussed. There's also a link to a survey that tells us how we're doing, and you can do that and it's totally anonymous all of our social media goodness and our merch shop yeah yeah so that's it today that is it and until next time drink farm and and give give zero clucks bye now bye we drink things we farm things we drink and